Welcome to the Creative Genius Captivated podcast. My name is Yiqing Zhao, a miserable medical student turned award-winning actor, filmmaker, and creativity coach. While my name literally means artistic youth in Chinese, it took me almost a decade to find my calling and path. I help multi-hyphenates overcome burnout, unleash their creativity, and become unstoppable using mindset and customized strategies. Let's dive in. Hey, this summer, in addition to my regular three months and six months coaching packages, I am offering a very limited amount of pay-what-you-can one-off sessions to artists only. So, if you are an artist looking to get to the next level but need some extra support, please hit me up. Subject to my availability, and of course, first come, first served. But I would love to support you. So, do not miss it. Send me an email: yiqing. Zhao Coaching at Gmail dot com, and we'll make it happen. Hi, welcome everyone. This is Yiqing, and welcome to my show, Creative Genius Captivated. Today, I have the pleasure to interview Natalie Tears, a visual artist who has been working on a lot of shows, a lot of shows, and I'm talking about big shows like BBC shows, Martin Scorsese's Shuttle Island, Tim Burton's Alice. So, hi, Natalie. Hi, Ching. Thank you so much for having me. This is so great. It's oh, a pleasure、yeah. to see you and talk with you. Yeah, so nice to reconnect with you. And tell us what you do, and you know, some fun facts about yourself. Okay. My name is Natalie Tears. I'm an artist, a visual artist. I have been a visual artist, a professional artist in some iteration or other for since I was, you know, 17. I started art school at 14. I'm 54, so it's been a lot of years of painting.、Um, I've been an illustrator. I've been a scenic artist for film and television. I've been a muralist in. For Disney, I I've worked in television. I've worked in Europe、uh, for the BBC as a scenic artist. I've worked as a muralist in private residence. The common thread is I've always been a visual artist. How that has manifested over the decades has changed based on a lot of things. My life, what I needed to do, what I could do. Um, and that has a lot to do sometimes with having a child or、um, other things that come up, and you say, "Okay, I can't do what I did. How can I do something that lets me express myself and give something back to the world where I feel gratification?" So again, after that amount of time, it's taken a lot of different looks, a lot of different、um, faces. Now I work doing my own painting. I show in in. Los Angeles and beyond. I also publish books、uh, with my visual allegories, which I have it. This、ah. I have it here. Yeah, I have it. I've been reading. This is great. I'm going to talk about this a tad later, but yeah, continue. Yeah, and so many、uh, different ways that I connect with different audiences using my visual voice. Another aspect of how I exist in the world: I'm a color consultant. I help people that are undergoing huge renovations, and they don't know how to coordinate the color aspect of what's going to happen. They make very isolated decisions, usually pressured by construction managers that you know pick the tile, pick this, pick that, and they do, and they pick the thing they think looks beautiful in that moment. But then they step back and they realize, wow, I. 
how it looks together is another issue altogether. So that service that I provide is great for me because it gets me out of my studio. I think it is so helpful for people who are in a tremendous state of stress. I mean, these renovations can go anywhere from $10,000 to a million, and they don't always want to commit to an interior designer for one reason or another, which I completely understand. So I work in a very modular way. I, I figure out what aspect of the renovation is going to happen and how I can best coordinate it so the outcome won't be a surprise, but rather a reflection of what they had hoped for. Yeah, no, I was just going to ask because you talk about the decision making and, you know, what's funny or for, the, for those of you who did not know, what's funny was earlier today, I was doing a film editing session with my co-producer and Natalie was a little early on my Zoom room. So she just boom, hopped on my Zoom and she was seeing me editing my film. And it, I mean, you've been in the film industry for how many years? I, I mean, it was about 20 years. I'm not active anymore right um, I that I would say the last film I did the last time I tried to go to go back to film thinking maybe this is a way this will work was when my son who's now 14 was very small and um, I tried doing feature films and I realized for me it wasn't sustainable right um, but leading up to that I had worked in feature film uh, television video you know any any iteration of of broadcasting or film production, music videos that you can imagine. So it, it's a, it, and again, it was a wonderful training. I, I'm so grateful I was able to work that way because it's a huge insight into audiences' perception of visual storytelling. And it's, it's quite different if you start off from telling your own story when you have that challenge of meeting us, you know, working with an art director who says, okay, this is what's required. How can we get this across, given all these obstacles and these parameters? And it's a great challenge. It's wonderful. It's, it, it's helped my formation as a, a visual artist. Absolutely. Exactly. And I think that's why, you know, I, I was a playwright and now mm -hmm. I am doing screenwriting and now directing. And it's just one thing that I still can't figure out and I'm in the process of figuring out is coloring. And the yeah. reason I say this is because it's not because I don't feel it. I do feel it, but about putting pieces together, yeah. about putting the, there's the story, there's the text, there's the visuals. And besides that, there's the coloring and, you know, and you also have to think about when you shot it, there's the gaffer and the grip and the lighting. And yes. then you have to color it. And then I I really, I've been having, having a hard time picking, choosing the colors. And my choice was largely decided on how I felt or how mm -hmm. I thought the, the film should look like. But how do you work with directors in terms of choosing the colors? Um, well, primarily I'm, I'm coordinating with art directors. Yeah. And so the designer and or um, art director, like for big films, sometimes like for Interview with a Vampire. I didn't have too much contact with um, God, the Italian guy, who, what's his name? They, um, I can't remember his, his name, but anyway. Oh, it happens, it's fine. <laughs> it, I, and I'm getting worse with names, but anyway. <laughs> I'm I'm dealing with you know the art director who's bringing me these wonderful drawings mm -hmm. and the conversation is about you know you will be creating this this is the context the event is 
this is the storyline, this is the action, this is what's happening. We are trying to create this mood. Uh -huh. There might be uh, specifications for color because there is a larger theme going on coloristically with a palette, but if there's time and there can be that conversation, some wonderful things happen because I'm a completely different human being and the way I read a palette and what I think I could pull out and still you know, bring something else to this piece, whether mm -hmm. it's a, a backing or a, a painted, you know, a mural within the, the film mm -hmm. or three-dimensional, like a folding screen that it is going to be hero because they're going to be in front of it talking for a long time. Those things are really exciting for me because as they speak, someone else is telling me what they want, which is very important. And I'm, I'm deferring to that, but how it lands in my head is going to fire off different things. And right. if there's time, I mean, depending on the budget and the timeline, I usually do a few samples. There are drawings. I give them back something that represents what that'll be indicative of the larger picture. And they'll say, oh, wow, this is great. Oh, I hate that. That is not what I was talking about. Get rid of it. And, and that's also a great muscle to flex. You, you have to dare. You have to be ready to know that it might not work. It's not personal. You will be better for it. You move on. Yeah. It's serving a larger vision. And if you can add to it, that's great. But if what you're thinking is distracting, you've got to let go. And that's a super thing, even in, because in our own work, I have to self-edit and you can't get attached to what yeah. doesn't work. You have to say, yeah, it's a nice piece of painting, but you're pulling down the whole canvas. So you're going to have to get rid of it and edit and it's, and move on. I so think we call it, we call it kill the darling, right? Is that the phrase for that? The uh, kill the, kill the, kill the darling? Kill the oh, darling. No, I don't know that phrase. Yeah, I think it's called meaning it's it's the that's what I've been doing. I've cut the, the, my first rough cut was like, what, 17 minutes. And now right. it's 13 minutes, right? Four minutes of things just completely gone. And oh, yeah, it, it was charming. It was cute, but it doesn't matter if it doesn't yeah. serve the story. It has to go. Right, right. The, the right. expression for scenic painters was when in doubt, black it out. Like if you're looking at the overall backing and that's before digital I mean they obviously there were matte paintings but when you're doing a, a large scale scene to represent the exterior of a, a building or a landscape if something is catching your eye it's wrong and if you're in doubt black it out like it might be a nice piece of painting but when a scenic in that context does their job well you don't notice the painting and that's I love it when you walk in and you feel like you're in Greece or you you just say, oh, you know, this feels like Notting Hill. That's great. That's great. But if someone actually starts looking like, oh, that's a painting, something's you're showing off or something's not right. So and that's a little bit letting go of the ego. If you've done a good job, nobody notices what you've done. Yeah. And that's when you're sick. That's when you've served the movie. I, I notice this in so many different ways and think this is also true for makeup artists. Um, yes. I was just on set last month for a feature film where I was acting and, you know, they got my hair, they curled my hair and the director was like, why did you do her hair this way? And then I said, well, because it's pretty. And the director said, no, she's not going to a party. She's going to work. Right. So they had to redo it. So I think that concept, oh, because she, she looks pretty this way, 
just like you said, they, they, it's coming from ego. It's coming from, I want her to look good. And I also want myself to look good. Yeah. But that, they, right? That's an important thing. It, it, uh, yes. And it's, it's chasing the wrong thing and there's nothing wrong with taking pride in your work, but you have to, again, it's like taking a job because you can do it and then taking a job because it fulfills a bigger vision. Yeah. There's a time in your life. I mean, I've, I've struggled with this. I, as a freelancer, I would grab work because I was good at it. I can do this. But if you don't start asking yourself, where do you want to go ultimately? Do you want to be doing this work in 10 years? Or do you think this is going to teach you something? Is it going to be good for you? You, you can't do it just because you can do it well. Yeah. And that's a hard thing to learn as a human being. It's part mm -hmm. of our survival. I can get money for that. Yeah. I do it well. People will like me. Yeah, but, you know, and, and, and in my life, looking back, when I ultimately had to start letting go of film, it, it was hard. It was, it was part of my identity. Being a scenic artist, working in that context, it was really about my life. I couldn't do it anymore with Josh. It wasn't practical. I had to rethink what my priorities were how much time I wanted to be working. And then I said, well, like, you know, I still, I want to, I want to move forward, but there will be another way and I just have to find it. But um, it's that scary part is not, you're not this thing anymore. And it's, it's part of your identity. There's a time where you, you can't say I'm a scenic artist or I'm an illustrator. You know, I, you just say, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm in a transition phase. You know, if you have to say something to yourself or someone else, you just, uh, it's tough. It is. And I think, you know, talking about leaving the film industry, see, here's the thing. I just also, I just always believe that we have to have something outside of this industry. Oh, yeah. Because this industry is very, it's psychologically very challenging with the long yeah. hours and everything, as much as I love it. And, you know, as much as I see myself getting more and more involved now behind the camera, more so probably than in front of the camera, I'm also thinking, who am I beyond this? Do you think that you doing design now, you know, doing renovation and interior design is a part of breaking away from that and finding who am I beyond this? It, absolutely, because in a very uh, wonderful way, I see everything that I've learned about reading an interior and telling a story and bringing that to residential homes. Mm -hmm. I can see what doesn't flow very quickly and where the source spots are. The other thing that I think I have an edge with is I'm essentially a maker. Yeah. So through my contact with set design and the different trades, I not only understand you know, what it takes to put up tiles and don't forget the grout color and don't forget about the bullnosing and don't forget about where you're going to stop, but who should come in first, what the implications are and what those gray areas are. Because like, I use a little bit like that in film, the makeup people care about makeup. If mm. you ask a makeup person how the rushes were, all they're looking at is the makeup. If you ask the sound, you know, that if you're an actor, it's a tricky thing. If you ask the sound person, how did the rushes, how were they? They're only looking, they're listening for the sound. So everybody has their bias. Yeah. I find that in a construction, uh, all the craftspeople just, you know, they care about what they do. And they yeah. say, I need to be in here first and this will, and they don't worry about the in-between. 
And it's those details that make you feel like when you walk, walk into a space, this is seamless. This is beautiful. I've never seen anything. It just flows. And those awkward questions are what I come in with. Well, where are you going to stop this color? What's going to happen here? How are you going to transition to the carpet? And if I hadn't, they would get what they get. But it's, it's my particular point of view, which is about design and construction that I think I, I add a lot of value to someone who is probably very stressed financially and emotionally, you know. And, you know, you work with homes, you work with residential homes. Would you say that is like working in the film and TV industry and working for people's homes? That's like yeah. two completely different choices. Would you say that transition or that switch is like a you more gear towards stability or I don't know what's the what's a good word for it um I think I, I think that's it's a good point because I made that shift mm -hmm. in a more serious way really leaving film completely I had already started working on large-scale murals in fact I was bringing the painting crews that I had met from film when I would get a mural in a private residence but when my son was born that was sort of it I couldn't commit to the films, which really demand you're there from the beginning to the end, but then also carrying a crew for residential. I need to be there for meetings before the house is built with architects. I need to be there. I mean, that also was disruptive. So there, it, there were, a, it was a learning curve. You don't know mm. how it's going to be for you until you have a child with your partner. And that's when I really switched everything to color consultation that I was doing that almost organically, but as a consultant, the hours required for me were reduced. Yeah. I made a big impact. I was carrying around a lot of knowledge about the process because I had been through at that point, by the time Josh was born, I don't know how many new builds from the ground up. I mean, I, I had seen them from being graded to framed. So I knew, I knew what was coming down the track in terms of time scheduling. So it was, and looking back, it seems like it makes sense. When it's happening to you, it can be quite terrifying. Yeah, because I remember I wanted to ask you about, you know, the relationships and motherhood as an artist. Yeah. And for those of you who did not know, most of them who didn't, um, your husband is a client of mine. And, yeah. you know, so that's how it's really because we knew each other first. Yeah. And then you said you reached out to me and saying, Chris is looking for a coach. So yeah. again, speaking about miracles in life, you never know when opportunities show up and when you never, you never know how someone you meet will connect you with someone else. But what I, what I was really interested in asking you, and also because you're older and you are, you live through that part of life, mm -hmm. being a mother that I haven't yet. Mm -hmm. How do you find that? managing your career as an artist and your husband is also an artist himself yeah. and raising a child how do you manage that like and I know it's a you know we talk about time management and everything but I also know it's a lot of it is energy mm -hmm. management and mind management so how do you manage that what well, that's a, it's a big question but I'm going to try and do it as succinctly and concisely as I can. Uh -huh. The other thing to remember is there are different phases in, in raising a child, but like mm. the demands in the first two years are completely different from like now when Josh is a teenager, it's, they're just different. And whatever your method is for managing those first couple of years will change based on, 
you know, a child coming into nursery school or going to a proper school, the freedoms that that allows you to and whatever stage they are developmentally, there are different things you could do that you couldn't do with a two-year-old. And a lot of it is learning on the fly and trying. And, you know, a lot of it is naive because I think you should try things and not you can look at other people and say, oh, they do it that way. Well, maybe I should try that. But until you try and say, well, maybe I'll get a nanny or maybe uh, I'll do this. And then you say, well, you know, that doesn't feel right for me. I, mm-hmm. I don't, I still feel, I feel for me, you know, the right thing to do was to stay home with Josh and find a way to work in smaller increments where someone came in. What's also super helpful is I have a great partner. We know each other very well. We were together 14 years before Josh came along. We had run a business together because the demands that the, the, the dynamic of the family keeps changing. And I think um, flexibility is really important, keeping an open mind and being realize, being ready to admit when this is not working. I feel sad. I feel exhausted or I don't feel like the time I have, you know, when I tried going back to films, the time I had with Josh, I was I wasn't there. I, I felt like a zombie. And I said, I can't keep this is not going to work. So I'm going to have to find something, you know, do something else. So I did. I, did I answer the question? <laughs> yes, you did. And I actually heard this from another. She's a she's actually my mortgage broker. And she <laughs> I am inviting her to the next couple of episodes. And she talked about the same thing. She, you know, mm-hmm. she she was a makeup artist for feature films. And she's been away like 40 days. Haven't seen her son or something like that. It's yeah. tough. Yeah. But also coming back to what we talked about, about the big picture thing, this is also the big picture that you choose to have a family and to raise a child and you got to give up certain elements to fit this big picture of being an artist and a mother and a wife. And so it's about fitting into that big piece. And for that, you got to take certain parts out. Right. And then that's because it fits into the big picture. It's true. But the other wonderful thing about that is that you start flexing muscles you didn't know you had. For example, I think you have to you have to begin to know yourself differently when you have a child Mm -hmm. and the demands that raising a child that they'll make on you will push you in ways that stress at work doesn't your partner. I mean, any kind of personal relationship you have is nothing like trying to see the baby that won't stop yeah. crying, even though that's normal. I mean, it's very, when you're, you know, you have a freak, they tell you babies cry, it's okay, but there's a special kind of stress where you feel like you're a little bit of a failure. They're unhappy. I'm not doing this right. And you really have to learn how to get through it, not only for yourself, but for the baby. Because if you lose it, it's true. It's a given that they're going to, you know, get colic, get start teething. And you have to sink into this. They're just going to cry for a long time. It's not your fault. It's very hard in the beginning to understand that, but it's a special, it's not like someone criticizing you at work unfairly. It's not like not being able to do the best work you can on a project. It's a special kind of suffering that promotes a special kind of growth. I hear you because I experienced similar things with my dog. Now she she just turned one, but you know, it's not even close to a baby because the baby is more demanding, but in certain ways it's similar. It is. It It is is similar. And I've never, and I think the courage to take this on and the commitment to, 
just you know that you're going to grow as you because you can prep as much as you can as much as you want before becoming a mother and then when the baby comes everything just exactly you just have to learn on the fly you do and and it's it's a it's a normal compulsion there's even physiological reasons that women will start nesting you know there's some weird compulsions about fixing certain things it's a it's a, a biological urge to prep things. I, I went through mm-hmm. a frenzy of it. It was mental. It really had nothing to do with the baby, but you have- It's, just, it's fear. A lot of it is fear. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. you know, fixing things. The baby's not going to care if the nursery is painted that color or this color. Yeah. yeah, you know, but you feel like to be the best mother you can, you must get this finished. And in retrospect, you see how, Ill, I mean, it's something you just have to go through and no one can really tell you, Oh, don't bother or there's other things you 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 have to do it and realize that what you were prepping for are not really the challenges that you're going to have to figure out yeah oh that is so good okay let's talk about your book and pulling weeds from a cactus garden i i read it on my way to tribeca actually and i noticed that you have the colors of yeah. course so many of them so vibrant and also you know like this one like this wolf with three eyes oh you can't see it because i'm using a virtual background oh Oh, yeah actually you can it's it's i don't know you struck me as someone with yes you do tell stories with colors and with the with your visuals and it's hard to describe i feel the emotions but it's hard it's beyond words i think my impetus for making this imagery is to give visual form to unnameable fears. Mm -hmm. I think we're, there are so many stresses and um, there's anxiety just being in the world, the push and pull from what people want from each other. Yeah. And the the fear of those boundaries and, you know, whether it's aggressive aggression or um, whatever the push and pull is, it it Uh takes many forms. It hits us fast. And Even more peculiar is it hits us fast through things like social media, advertising, you know, being a woman, don't be too sexy, be a good mother, you know, be this, be that, be that. And it's this push and pull that creates um, anxiety, I think. Yeah. And I, there's something so precious to me about fairy tales in that they, they largely made for children. That's the history of them to teach them that there are frightening things in this world and to embody them in, in characters that they can understand the dynamics. But I think we need that. I, mm-hmm. I, I think in very simple ways, I love movies, I love songs, but to look at one image that isolates a moment of struggle and to sit with it and to feel empathy, fear, or sadness for the person, even perpetrating it. Like you think, what is this sad, clueless monster doing? Like what do, do the, what, what's the end? What, what do you, they're not thinking just to sit with that is something that can help us. Yeah. I think we need it. It, it, Everything else moves so fast to sit with one. And that's why I did the book as well, because I think there's something in, when I look at my own history, some of my favorite artists, although I go to museums and I go to galleries, there's something about the private relationship with a book that in your own space, not standing around other people or in public you sit with this and it's it's a very special relationship and that's why i thought i i want these images to go to people in a new form where they can experience them they may never come to my shows that might not be practical 
the screen, I'm thankful for social media, but I don't think experiencing a painting that way is the same thing. It's again, you're, there's that impulse. Well, what's coming after this, you know, to scroll away. Oh, but there's something, you know, sit with a book and just have a re relationship with that piece for a moment for you know, maybe under a minute. And that to me is precious. And you, we use that time to actually feel the feelings because, you know, right. And I know that you wrote it during the pandemic and, and, and I think this is, it's, it really took us a pandemic to realize how distracted we are and yeah. how, how good we are at pushing feelings away and not experiencing them because we attach certain things, you know, but then really a lot of negative emotions are just part of being human, yeah. right? The disappointment, rejection, uh, unexpected stress, whatever, that's just part of being human. And then we, if you push them away, it's like, where's the lesson? Where's the experience? Yeah. And so, I, I think, I think even with family members, I think as much as I love my family, my son was just on going into puberty, you know, and there's a whole, there's a whole cocktail of chemicals and hormones that happen and make their, they, you don't recognize them at first. Easier would have been, okay, you go to school, but we were all trapped together. So his flushes, I mean, he's getting flushes of testosterone and he has nowhere to go. I, I have to sit there in a room with him and sort of, you know, if we could run up, we have a hillside, like we try to get out on our own property, but it's like, I can't say, go work it out with your friends, go run around with your friends and I don't know, play soccer. We didn't have that. Right. So I think very unique, weird lessons were taught because that was not everyday living. And we had to we had to really cope with each other uh, in a way that I don't think I ever did before yeah. the pandemic. Yeah, it was good. I think it was on a lot. I mean, yes, hard on the kids, very hard, but good in a lot of ways. Did I? I think I think I learned patience. I probably learned a lot of patience. I learned a lot of patience too. It's funny that you mentioned that. Well, it's also because now I have a dog, and you know, it's you really have to let go of control and yeah. Um, and she was, I had her when she was three months old and, you know, this anxious rescue, she's right here sleeping yeah. next to me because she's just very clingy. And I just have to deal with her anxiety that, you know, it's part of being her being a rescue. And I don't know the first three months of her life exactly what she did, but yeah. that's like left, certainly left a very deep imprint on a dog. So I just have to work with that and, you know, just incorporate that into my life. And I think, you know, what I really appreciate about this book, and I know we, I will leave the link in the show notes so that people can go to Amazon or your website to buy it is really that. And I think that's the, the magic of, of paintings or visual arts is that every time you look at them, you feel something different. Yeah it's it's not the same thing with words because with words especially with you know with fiction with narratives you know the plot and then you're like okay I know it I know that's it but then with with colors with visual images every time you look at them it's like you're seeing a part of yourself but that part of yourself is changing based yeah. on where you're yeah. at in your life and I think that's really the magic of of visual arts that's I just how I see it I completely agree. And I think something that's, I just wrote a blog post about this, something that's magic for me and why I do love showing in gallery spaces. And um, actually I have a, a solo show coming up in August is 
when people walk in, and mostly into my studio, if they show up to my studio and they have these visceral reactions, some of their associations are completely stunning to me. You know, I, I get it, but it's not anything that would occur to me naturally. And I, I just wrote up a, a blog post about this. It was a mom work, walking with her, I would say five-year-old. And um, it's a large painting and there is an overweight superhero. And he's, he's trying to kiss this mom with her child and she's wearing the mask of Capitoline, who was the she-wolf who raised Remulus and Romulus, which is not important, but he saw the superhero. And he came in and he's like, oh, what, what superhero is that? And I said, well, I don't know if he's too much of a superhero with that big belly. I, I think he's not going to get off the ground. Mm -hmm. And he said, no, no, no. All superheroes can fly. You're wrong. And it meant a lot to him. He said, once you're a superhero, it doesn't matter. He can fly. And I said, well, if you say so, you, you seem to know more about superheroes. Okay. He said, but you painted it. You should know. You painted it. I said, well, I said, it's a little bit like this. You don't decide what you're going to dream. No, I you said, just have I, to let yeah. go of control and surrender. Exactly. I said, yeah. I, I got to tell you, I, when I'm painting things, I don't understand what I'm painting. I'm just trying to figure out how to make it make sense visually. Yeah. So I said it in a very simple way. I just, I'm just trying to figure out how to paint this. I don't know what this stuff means. But then he was so, uh, it was so important to him. His answer was to go and touch the painting, to run up to it. And I sort of got it in his eyes. Like, I'm saying, I don't think he can fly. But if you say so, you're probably right. And his mom and I realized at the same minute how his brain was working with his hands. Like, okay, I'm going to figure this out. And I stopped him. And she said, no, 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 don't do it. Because it was still wet. And we stopped him. <laughs> I, I, well, my takeaway, I mean, of course, I don't want him to put his hands through the painting, but there's something so amazing mm -hmm. that a painting can be that real. Yeah. That he's going to figure out if this is real by putting his hands on it. That I find that fascinating. Really, really touching. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think that's, that's, that's why being artists, this, you know, with all the ups and downs, it's so satisfying and fulfilling. It's really just when magic like this happens and we know that we touch people's hearts and there's nothing that I would trade for that, you know? Great. So let's, let's wrap this up with some parting quotes for young artists. What, what, what is, what is your parting quote for our audience? Parting quote for um, maybe people that are starting out or that are students is you have to keep at it. I mean, there, for me, I feel for people that are just leaving school now. This is a special time for people who have maybe studied for four or seven years, depending on, you know, they went for their master's and they're getting thrust into the real world. And I'll never forget how daunting that can be because coming from a nurturing environment like school, out into the world where people seem like they don't care. They're worried about mortgages. They're worried about food. They're worried about getting to work. That's tough. And I think you have to hang in there and find your tribe, find your support system. Don't be too thrown by the transition because it's tough. And just keep pushing. Keep looking for who your people are. Keep looking for, use your creativity to figure out how to live. If you're an artist, it's not easy, but you're blessed. And you just have to keep trying different things. 
but it's a, it, this time coming all these people coming out of um art school it's a tough time and i would say just keep trying things out don't get discouraged don't give up on the grand scheme of things you know rejection yeah. is just a tiny little thing that hurts in that moment but then yeah. when you learn to accept that's just part of being a human that's just part of being living this life on earth yeah. you know you can let it go and then keep pursuing whatever you set your intentions to do exactly exactly yeah. and it's 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 tough like you know when big life changes like having a child and you think oh, i'll never be it is. it's it all is. over i can't do this yeah. i don't know whatever comes up but you just have to stay as calm as you can yeah and not give up and you just know when a baby comes the baby comes whatever comes your way you can handle it yeah mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. So everyone, you should go to Amazon or Bernalis website to grab this book. I already have a copy here and I I'm, I finished it, but I'm still going to revisit it because again, every time I look at it, I feel something different and that's the magic. Awesome. So great to have you on the show, Natalie, and let's reconnect sometime later. Yeah, let's do that. It's been such a pleasure, Yiching. Thank you for having Aww, me. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, thanks for hanging out with me. You're now one step closer to having the creative life and career you want. If you would like to deepen the work, go visit coaching.yiqingzhao.com to find out how to work with me. Or you can hang out with me on Instagram at yiqingzhao1222. If you would like to receive a freebie, seven questions to get you unstuck, please subscribe to my newsletter. You will love it. All right. I'll see you next time. In the meantime, take care. Happy creating. Bye.